should let you guys pick what sermon I preach. I have about a dozen of them in here. <laughs> but I'll do the one that I planned on doing. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we want to talk about temptation and testing from James, the first chapter. So in James, first chapter, chap, first chapter, verse two, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own desire, his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The same word in the Greek is used in verse 2 as is used in verses 12 through 14, although it's translated differently. Um, in verse 2 and 12, it's translated trial. And then in verses 13 and 14, it's translated temptation. In the New Testament, the, the, the noun for test or temptation or trial is used 21 times, nine times it's translated as test, and 12 times it's translated as temptation. And then the verb form um, occurs 39 times in the New Testament, and 22 times it's translated as test, and 17 times it's translated as tempt. Well, if you add those up, it, it comes out to 31 times translated test and 29 times translated as uh, temptation or, te or tempt. Which, so that shows you it's just about half and half throughout the pages of the New Testament that this, that this particular Greek word is translated. But I think in our minds, there's a difference between trial or testing and temptation. In the English dictionary, the first definition that's given of tempt is to entice to do evil for the sake of pleasure. But another definition given is simply to strongly incline someone to do something, but not necessarily evil. Like you might say, he was tempted to quit his job on the spot. Well, that's not being tempted to do evil, but it's just being enticed to do something. Probably we need to see these two senses as being closely related to each other. That in every test, 
there is a trial, or in every test or trial, there is a temptation to give up and compromise one's faith, and a temptation to sin is always ultimately a test of faith as to whether you give in or not. So temptation in verse 2, James is talking about when you encounter various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith or the testing of your faith produces endurance. So he looks at this kind of testing or trial, which I think we all experience, and a trial or a testing can come in various different ways. Um, I was thinking of the, the people in Maui over in Hawaii who had that wildfire blast through their town. They were having, what, 60 or 70 mile an hour winds, and it you look at the pictures on TV, it just about burned everything to the ground, left nothing but ashes. Even if you managed to escape that, I would say that would be a trial, wouldn't it? <laughs> and, and they interviewed some people who, when they, you know, when the fire was coming, they, there was nothing they could do but run down and jump in the ocean. And, and some of them, paddled water in the ocean, you know, probably wasn't very deep, but I suppose the farther away from the shore you got, the cooler it was. <laughs> but they were there for like eight hours or something like that. It, it was, you know, uh, that would be a trial for me. The trials can come or testings can come from natural causes, from natural disasters. I suppose for us, um, you know, hailstorms that <laughs> destroy your crops, or we had our car got pretty well dinged up by the hailstorm we had up in Cass or in Scotts Bluff, and plus it required that we get a new roof. All of those things cost money, and you know it wasn't through any fault of our own. This is we talked in Sunday school class about, uh, you know the things that happen happen to both good and bad people. Uh, the hailstorm didn't just hit the bad people on our block. Maybe it did. Because <laughs> all of us are bad, I guess, up to a point. But, you know, the, in Matthew chapter 5, it says, uh, God sends the sun to shine on both the good and the evil. And he causes the rain to fall both on, on the just and the unjust. And I think that happens with natural disasters too. It doesn't spare anybody. It just wipes out the whole, everybody in its path. Um, but that kind of thing can be, uh, definitely could be a trial. Um, trials also can come from human beings. And Paul described some of his experiences as a trial or a testing of his faith when he was being persecuted, when he was stoned or, you know, beaten and left for dead or whatever. That, that was certainly a trial, but it wasn't really a temptation to sin. 
And, and that's the other way the word is translated, in, and that's the way it is like in James chapter 2, verse 13. Um, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. In this case, this is a temptation to sin. And this would be the definition that the English dictionary gave is the first definition an enticement to do to commit sin. And the scripture says not to say I'm being tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But so we understand that the context determines you know kind of the nuance of this word. Because we do know that God allows trials to happen in our life. And so as it says here, um, or back in verses, well, in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect res result so that you may perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials can come from God, although even if we go back like to the example of Job in the Old Testament, did God put Job to the test? Yeah, God allowed it. Job, uh, Satan came and said, Look at your man Job, you know. The only reason he's so good is because you've hedged him about and so nothing bad can happen to him. You let me touch him. You let me mess with him a little bit, you know, and, and then you'll see what kind of faith he really has. And God gave jo uh, Satan permission, I guess you'd say, to put Job to the test and destroyed all of his stuff and then ultimately touched his body to where he had boils from head to foot. And the only limitation that God put on him was you can't take his life, you know, but I guess that was off limits. But God himself didn't test Job, but God allowed the circumstances that tested him. And I I don't know really from thinking of scriptures that God himself put anybody to the test. But God allows things. I guess God doesn't have to. <laughs> There's plenty of other opportunities for things to happen to us that can put us to the test. But one thing God does not do, he does not tempt us to sin. He does not entice us to do sin. That would really be working against his own nature and against his own ultimate purposes. But God doesn't prohibit Satan from tempting, testing us either. Um, trials or testings, though they are indefinitely difficult and unpleasant, are nonetheless, James says, that we are sort of to embrace them because of what they ultimately produce in our lives. If you experience a test or a trial, then you come out stronger because of it. Um, 
Do you become, you become mature and whole? Um, I think, I remember when I was in high school wrestling, that was a long time ago, but, <laughs> you know, our coach was determined that we would be in better shape than any of the other teams that we wrestled against. Well, how are you going to get in better shape than anybody else? You have to work harder. And so uh, we would have to run stairs. The wrestling room was in the basement of the high school, and we would have to run down the hall and up, you know, three or four flights of stairs and then back down and around and would do that until we were about ready to drop. And if you were a varsity wrestler, he would put you out on the wrestling mat and then send a junior or a sophomore out against you a fresh guy every 30 seconds, and not always somebody from your same weight class. Sometimes they put a heavier guy out, you know, or a small guy that was real quick. And you'd stay out there for six minutes because that's how long a wrestling match was. But you'd face a new opponent every 30 seconds. So, I mean, that really got you in good shape. And since most of the other guys that I wrestled against were stronger than I was, I was kind of a skinny guy because I wrestled at 154 pounds and I was the same height that I am now. Well, that, that's taken a third of me away. <laughs> so I, I was kind of a skinny kid, you know, and I wasn't very strong, but I was quick and I was in good shape. And sometimes by the end, of the second period when we started out the third period the other guy you know was kind of <laughs> hanging down and I thought okay I've got you now because <laughs> I knew 42 different ways to put pinning combinations on the guy and I was relentless you know and I would just wear him down but the only way I got that conditioning was by having to experience a certain amount of hardship and our coach deliberately inflicted that hardship on us because there's no other way to gain that kind of endurance except, in a sense, by suffering a little bit. And so he, he was very creative at ways to make us suffer so that we could become strong, that we would be able to endure and is there any other way in the Christian faith, in the Christian walk, to gain that kind of endurance except by experiencing hardship and undergoing trials and testings? Well, I, I don't think so. And so James says to, you know, well, he, some translations say, well, the New American Standard says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. I, to me, that's kind of a hard scripture. I didn't even count it all joy when I was in high school wrestling, even though I knew what the coach was doing and that it was a good thing to do. And I suppose the same thing is true for us in our life today. You have to really look beyond the trial to the end results of the trial to be able to count it all joy, to say, okay, this is good. Uh, you know, I'm going to really enjoy this. <laughs> well, maybe you might not enjoy it, but you could still count it joy. Um, and then in verse 12, 
It says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The end result of enduring trial is that you receive the crown of life. That's a pretty positive crown. I got a, a nice little medal for you know, finishing fourth place in the state wrestling tournament up in Wyoming. I think I still could find it if I spent a little effort, <laughs> you know. But it's probably all tarnished and everything by now because I haven't paid much attention to it. Crown of Life, I think, will be something that we will be very glad that we have when the time comes. Okay, and... In verses 13 to 15, even though James uses the same Greek word, he definitely seems to shift his attention from trials that result from some kind of hardship in life, whether from natural causes or from other people, or in a sense, even just the situations in life, he shifts to temptations to sin. And he says not to say I'm being tempted by God. Um, it could be that, temp that testings or trials could come from God. But this goes on to say that God cannot be tempted with evil. So someone faced with a temptation to sin cannot say that the temptation to sin is coming from God. So where does temptation come from? Well, I think the quick answer that a lot of people will give right away is from the devil. You know, back when I was younger, there was a guy, I can't remember his name now, but he was a comedian, and his line that he would always say is, the devil made me do it, you know. Whatever bad something he did, he said, the devil made me do it. Well... In a sense, that may be ultimately true, but that may not be very helpful, and that's not what it says here in this passage of Scripture, is it? It doesn't say anything about the devil in this passage of Scripture. It says, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own desire. Now, some translations have the word lust here. In some ways, I don't like the word lust in this passage because lust, by definition, is an evil desire. And usually, I think we think of lust as like a sexual desire. And that Greek word isn't particularly a negative term. Jesus used the exact same word when he said, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Well, that's not an evil desire. I don't think any translator in his right mind would translate that. With lust, I have lusted to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So lust is always an evil desire. But I don't think this is necessarily talking about evil desire it's just talking about desire, human desire. It's, it's built into us to have desires. In a sense, 
It's not necessarily evil in and of itself. It's just desire. But I suppose all desire is capable of leading to sin. Is it a, is it a sinful desire to be hungry? But I think hunger has led a lot of people into sin. Um, Jesus himself was not evil at all. But it, scripture says he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. So how could he be tempted if he didn't have any evil desires? Well, because temptation could come simply from desire. And if you try to satisfy the, you know, the temptation in a wrong way, then that is sin. It's not a sin to uh, have sex. God created male and female, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Well, there's only one way you can do that. And that way is not a sin in and of itself. It only becomes sin when a person wants to gratify that in the wrong way, or with the wrong person under the wrong circumstances, and then it becomes sin. Is it wrong to drive? Is it a sin to drive a nice car? I would say not in and of itself. But if you get so materialistic that, you know, you really covet that nice car and you'll do almost anything to get one and, you know, that becomes a driving force in your life or something like that, well, then I think it's moved into the realm of covetousness or sin. Um, so the desire is not a sin in and of itself. Jesus was able to be tempted because he had the same physical desires that we do. That if he didn't eat for a long time, he got hungry. If he didn't drink, he got thirsty. I suppose if he didn't sleep, he got tired. And if somebody hit him, it hurt. And all of those kind of things can lead you to, can be temptations, and can be temptations to sin. Jesus had the same physical desires that we do, and those physical desires themselves can be the source of temptation and temptation to sin. So... Recognizing this, I think, is, can be the, one of the most important things to understanding how to overcome sin and how to deal with sin. Saying the devil made me do it in some ways isn't very helpful. Recognizing that sin comes from our own desires within ourselves, and they're not even necessarily evil desires desires they're just desires everybody has them and not and not all desires are temptations to sin 
So the issue then is, are you controlling your desires and satisfying them in an acceptable way to God? Um, the scriptures talk about, you know, uh, every man should have his own wife. And if you desire your wife, that's not a sinful desire. That's acceptable. Um, that can, I think that's even pleasing to God. So it's not inherently sinful. But if you desire another woman or, or man, not your husband or wife, then that becomes a sinful desire and becomes a temptation to sin. And if you give in to it, then you've sinned. So we, it, and, and I think in a sense, every temptation is sort of a trial also, isn't it? If you're tempted to commit a sin, then that's a test of your faith. Because if you give in to that sin, then you failed the test, you committed a sin. And so I, I can definitely see how these two senses of this word overlap. Because a trial, even of a, from natural causes or something, can end up being a temptation to shake an angry fist at God and say, why did you do this to me? And ultimately, there are people that turn their backs on God because of something that happens like that. Um, if a loved one dies and you, and you get angry with God, why did you let this happen? My, you know, my loved one didn't deserve to die. There have been many, many people who have ultimately lost their faith because of that. Well, there's no doubt that that's a trial. That, that's a testing. How you react to it is it determines whether or not that ends up being a temptation to sin or not. When I was, I suppose, 31 years old or something like that, my younger brother uh, was killed in a car accident. It, he was newly married. He had just finished his CPA um, accreditation through the University of Wyoming. And I asked God, asked myself, you know, why? Why did this happen? Well, I never, I, I'm... 74 years old, and I still don't have the answer to that question, you know. I don't know, and I ultimately decided that why wasn't the right question. The right question was, what am I going to do about it? Do I still trust in God? Do I still believe that God is good? Do I still believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and was raised so that he could make me walk in newness of life? Do I still believe that the Bible is the word of God? And the answers to all those questions were yes. So if I didn't know why my younger brother was killed that way, that didn't change the foundation or the essence of what my faith was. And so even though I didn't have an answer, and I might not ever have an answer, and when I get to heaven and ask God, 
He might be able to, he might say, I didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> that was your own younger brother, you know. He rolled his Bronco driving down a ditch bank and killed himself, you know. God didn't cause that to happen. He allowed it to happen, but that's the nature of giving human beings free will. We're going to make all kinds of bad decisions. They're going to make the result in bad results and consequences, but that's not God making that happen. And so, so I continued to believe in God, and I continued to serve him, and I continued to follow him. And I didn't allow that trial in my life, and that was definitely a trial. Um, you know, we've all had many experiences like that, I suppose, since... Marie's the youngest chicken in here, I guess. <laughs> when the older you get, the more things that have happened to you. You, know, you say, why did that happen? And the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep on believing in God? Are you going to hold firm to your faith? Or are you going to let that trial become a temptation to sin and turn your back on God. And I hope instead that you will gain endurance from that. And when endurance has its end result, then you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that we can understand the nature of trials and the nature of temptation and that we can commit ourselves to enduring under the trial and to resisting the temptation and continuing to be faithful and trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.